Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. It's so true that we need men with courage and conviction. We need men with compassion. We need men who aren't afraid to die. They've made ready for eternity. And so they can live life to its fullest. A total abandon to do God's will because they know they're in His hands. And they're not going to worry and fret about what's going to happen or what's coming. The challenges ahead because they know that if the worst happens, humanly speaking, to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. Someone pulled a gun on evangelist years ago and pointed it right at him, just right there, point blank. And the evangelist looked at him and said, you can't threaten me with heaven. Think about that. I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. May God give us that kind of courage today to stand fast and to pay the price, whatever it may be. As I thought about this Father's Day, I thought about just our dads and and what they stand for and what they represent. I thought about this day in and of itself. It turns out it was dreamed up a few years after Mother's Day in 1910. The idea, this writer said, was the brainchild of a Sonora Dodd, the daughter of a single father who raised six children in Spokane, Washington. Despite her efforts to solicit the support of her church and the YMCA, few people cared. Six years later, the New York Times reported that Father's Day slips past New Yorkers unobserved. But what saved the day? The New York Associated Menswear Retailers, who decided to use the occasion to sell, you guessed it, neckties. By 1940s, the Father's Day necktie had become a $100 million business. The 1960s, a billion-dollar business. And today, according to one business analytics site, a $20 billion business. Pretty amazing. So how many dads have ever gotten a tie for Father's Day? Any dads like that here? (laughs) All right. Uh, So just be grateful for that. Be grateful that you have that option and that opportunity is something to uh, not take for granted and to be grateful for. Because in essence, that was the very foundation of why we have this day nationally to be recognized. But we know that there are greater matters than that. And we know that God has a purpose and God has a plan in what He's doing in the lives of fathers here today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs this morning. It's Proverbs 17, if you'll find your way there. Proverbs 17 is where we're going to look together. And uh, notice some things here from God's Word about what God says concerning dads in this hour. Proverbs 17. The Bible says, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. I want you to underline that. 
The right battles, fighting the right battles. There's so much strife. The Bible even talks about this again in verse 14. The beginning of strife is when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. Verse 19, he loveth transgression that loveth strife. Think of that, strife. There are battles to fight. There are things to strive for and to strive against. And I wonder what battle you're engaged in today. Are you fighting the right battle? Remember Saul? He was so busy fighting David, the wrong enemy, that when the Philistines came, the true enemy, he was not prepared. The nation was in jeopardy because he was fighting the wrong battle. Some of us, we're fighting all right. We're just fighting the wrong battle. We're on the wrong battlefield. We have the wrong enemy. Our homes need to be strengthened. They don't need to be fighting against each other, but fighting with each other, not fighting one another. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Do you realize that? It's the same for a nation. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So what is our adversary's chief goal? in his aversion, his attack on the home. It's to divide. When you divide, you conquer. And so, and you've heard and you've seen this even on these wildlife shows about when a lion goes after a herd of animals and then they just kind of get them separated and then one gets off on its own and then it's over then. They got separated from the safety of the herd. I think about our homes. Someone said Christians are like bananas. If we don't stick together, we'll get peeled. And uh, we've got to be careful to stick together. We've got to work through things. We've got to look to God. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to die to self. We can't make life about us. We can't make life about Hey, what about me and what I need and what I want? And we've got to make it about God. We've got to make it about others. I read an article that came out this week that stated belief in God among U.S. adults sinks to an all-time low this year. Think of that. According to the survey, most U.S. adults, 81%, do believe in God. But while that figure seems high, it's actually the lowest percentage ever reported in this Gallup survey. Up until 2011, over 90% said they believed in God. But the number has continued to drop, now down 8 points from the 89% who expressed belief in God in 2016. The previous low was set in 2014, and it was at 86% who said they believed in God. So it continues this trend downward, especially among our youth. 80% of teenagers that were admitted to psychiatric hospitals came from fatherless homes. Think of this, the correlation here. Fatherless children are 100 to 200% more likely to have emotional and behavioral problems. A child from a fatherless home is 68% more likely to use drugs or alcohol, far more likely to become sexually active at an early age, and three times more likely to commit a violent crime. Now we know that that doesn't 
consign someone to that kind of life. We all have a choice. And I'm thankful that God helped me to see that as a young man growing up in the home that I did. With its division, its dysfunction, its just so much distraction concerning what was good and right and wholesome. I thought this was interesting. Among the 25 most cited school shooters since Columbine, 75% were reared in broken homes, a psychologist said. Think about that. He said he found that most came from incredibly broken homes, not just that of divorce and separation, but also infidelity, substance abuse, criminal behavior, domestic violence, and child abuse. Something must be addressed in our homes. Oh, how they need to be strengthened. It's been said a family can survive without a nation, but the nation cannot survive without the family. And we know the family cannot survive without God. So what's going on in our homes? Why are so many, almost half of the children in our country growing up in homes where by choice, oftentimes, dads are absent? What are we facing? What is the solution? What is the answer? Another writer said, if you want to know what kind of father you were, don't look at your children, look at your grandchildren. Families with both fathers and mothers doing their part are our nation's very foundation. Now God can take us whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we're facing in life, and I'm glad He can, aren't you? See, these things don't limit us. Other choices do not limit us in the sense that they determine ultimately whether or not God will help us and God can bring good out of difficulty, disappointment, or even brokenness in our lives. God can bring good out of whatever we face in this life. That's who He is. That's how powerful He is. But we have to understand the practical wisdom and the power of God's design for our homes. You read here, well, the Bible talks about quietness versus strife. Better is a dry morsel. Maybe not the best of circumstances of life, but situationally uh, that's to be desired where there's peace versus just revelry and, and all kind of supposed good cheer, but yet constant tension and strife. The beginning of strife is when one letteth out water. Think about that. I mean, it just, it just builds and builds and builds and, and always tends to the path of least destruction. And it is destructive. There are those who delight in this. The Bible says, He loveth transgression, that loveth strife. They delight in things that satisfy them, that somehow play into their pride or their self-will. I pray that God will teach us and that God will speak to us and even correct us this morning because God is trying to work in our hearts to teach us these truths from His Word. As you study Proverbs chapter 17, you find that God speaks to us about fathers in verse 6, friends in verse 17, and fools in verse 21. God wants us to see the correlation here. And how the right kind of home is going to affect our lives and our relationships.
We read about the father in verse 6, children's children are the crown of old men, these grandchildren, and the glory of children are their fathers. So many children, their glory is gone. Remember when the glory of God departed, Ichabod, in the life of Eli the priest, the glory of God was gone because of his condoning the sin of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. These were wicked young men. Their dad would never go so far as to truly call them into account and to correct them. And the day came when because he would not deal with their sin, God would deal not only with theirs but his because he honored his sons above God and God called them all into account and the glory of God departed. I wonder how many of our homes that could be said of. There's no true glory there. There's nothing but tension and strife and angst and frustration. God have mercy on us. God forgive us of our pride and our self-will. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. Think of that. Where there's envy and strife. The Bible says there is confusion and every evil work The Bible says it doesn't have to be that way. Children's children are the crown of old men, our grandchildren. Oh, how we can delight in them and they in us. And the glory of children are their fathers. A home where the glory of God is, where children are allowed to glory in the Lord because they are provided for, they are taught, they are cared for, they are protected, they are influenced by their father. I will tell you, we talk about it and we hear about the great need of this hour. And I want to challenge us men today to be faithful to God, to be faithful to your family, to do what is right because it's right. It won't always be easy, but it will always be right. And if it's right, it will be blessed by God at some point in some way. Let's not get caught up in this world system that says it's all about me, the individual, and what I want, and what I think, and what I feel, and how people intersect with my life or not, and how I, I want that or don't want that, and I can choose to accept it or not. I can be faithful or unfaithful. I can be committed or uncommitted on a whim because it's all about me. It's all about happiness, and God doesn't start there with us as His children. He starts at the place of holiness, what is right. Because what is right will not only be blessed by God, but what is right will bless others. We have to see that. Oh, there's so many things that could be highlighted here in this chapter of Proverbs. In verse 17 we read, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Sometimes those who are closest to you are those who are at the greatest tension or strife with you. But then sometimes, maybe not even someone related, you can be closer to because there's a loyalty in friendship. I wonder what kind of friend you are. You said, He that, well, the Bible says, He that hath friends must show himself what? Friendly. People say, Well, I don't have many friends. Well, how many people have you 
befriended and tried to reach out to, encourage, text, or be there for, pray for. Have you tried to be a friend? Be the kind of friend that you want. We're going to reap what we sow, right? And so God wants us to see the value and the wisdom of this. But then he also speaks about the fool in verse 21. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. And the father of a fool hath no joy. Verse 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. It's amazing here what God is saying. A fool, according to the scriptures, is someone who lives as though there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So when Job said to his wife, you talk like a foolish woman, what he's saying is, honey, you're leaving God out of this. You're talking like there's no God. We can't pray. We can't trust Him. We can't even commit ourselves to Him, though we don't know why in the world He would have ever allowed such loss and sorrow. You're acting as though there's no God at all. And we're just going to deal with this thing apart from faith, apart from prayer, apart from trusting God. We're just going to curse God and die. He said, you're leaving God out of this. Isn't that the way so many people are living today? We may not be professing atheists, but practical atheists, many times we are. We leave God out of our decisions. We leave God out of our relationships. We leave God out of our words, out of our deeds, out of our everything of life. It's like, here's what I think. Here's what I want. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to church and sing, to God be the glory. I'll do the little religion thing to try to make sure I'm okay in the end whenever that comes. I'll do that on Sunday. But as far as living for God and doing what's right and being Christ-like, conformed to His likeness, May God help us. May God deliver us. Because that's the kind of life that comes from a heart that says, hey, I don't believe that I'm going to give account for what I'm about to say. I don't believe I'm going to give account for the way I'm treating someone. I don't believe that I'm going to give account for my spirit. I can say what I want, do what I want, live like I want, act like I want, and it's okay. That's a fool, practically speaking. It's foolish. It's folly for us to live that way. So we're to leave that off. The Bible talks about leaving off contention before it be meddled with there in verse 14. Just don't go there. Don't live to strive against each other. There's going to be something come against you and your family one day that you're going to have to have a united effort to withstand. God wants us to see his wisdom, and the value of this. Turn with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 1. Let me illustrate this. 2 Samuel chapter 1, we come upon the occasion of the death of King Saul. 1 Samuel marks the failure of man in Eli and in Saul, and to some degree, Samuel. 2 Samuel marks the restoration of order by God putting His chosen king, David, on the throne. Not only do we read here about Saul's death, but we read of the death of his sons. It just touches my heart to think about how this father's sin not only cost him, 
but his own. As you move into this, David is marking the death of Saul. And I think what is interesting here is he points out how the mighty are fallen in verse 19. He says in the last part of verse 21, Saul was living his life as though he had not been anointed, as though there was no accountability to God. He was living foolishly. He was leaving God out as though God didn't anoint him. God didn't put him on the throne. It was not something for which he was going to give account to God or meet God with one day. That's the way Saul was living. He was living foolishly. But when he died, think about this. Do you think that's where David dwelt in that moment? It's one thing to acknowledge certain realities in life. It's another thing to delight in them, to glory in tension and strife. You see, David didn't glory in Saul's faults, his failings. You know what he did? David actually honored someone who had dishonored him. Think of that. Now, dads, we have a responsibility, not only for our children, our grandchildren, those who come after us, but I like what was said. Don't just look at your children, look at your grandchildren. What does that say about your impact, what you've tried to do, what you've tried to teach? I think about a friend being faithful and loyal, how we need to be faithful and loyal. How we need to be true. Those closest to us are the ones the adversary will try to drive a wedge between. Because he wants us to get to the place to where we live as though there's no God, there's no use. It doesn't matter if we pray or if we're faithful to church or if we honor the Lord with our lives. All those things don't matter. They do matter. See, Saul got to the point to where he was living as though they didn't matter. And then one day it called up to him and it cost him and his family. But I want you to see a principle here, and I want you to get this. David, in Saul's death, didn't gloat. He wasn't happy. Yeah, finally, I get to be the king. I mean, he's not going to track me down anymore. He's got what he deserved. See, some of us, if we heard of someone's stumbling today, we would feel so delighted. And how wicked is that? At someone else's weakness Someone else is failing. We should be grieved. And David was grieved. And you know what? He didn't dwell on his faults. He dwelt on what he did do right. And thereby honored someone who dishonored him. Now I want you to think about it. You can read through this. He says in verse 24, You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel, how are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Think of that. Yes, it's a great tragedy. It's a great sorrow. But remember the good that he did. Well, as I think about this, I think about how we should never be happy at the demise of others. We should acknowledge their accomplishments and the good that they did do. And we should be more zealous about God's glory than getting even with someone or promoting ourselves. See, David said this. He said, uh, tell it not in Gath, in verse number 20. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Think of this. 
Let's not broadcast this. Let's not go on about it. I'm not going to shine the light on it. The Bible says, he that seeketh love covers a transgression. Don't always walk. Did you hear about this? Did you know about this? Yeah, I'll tell you this and that and the other. People who delight in that, the Bible says they love strife. They love iniquity. They delight in it. That becomes their language. That becomes what they look forward to hearing about or broadcasting themselves. God deliver us from that. At the root of that is such pride, such self-righteousness. Oh, yeah, let's talk about their faults as though we have none. Oh, let's talk about how they got tripped up as though, yeah, I'm not worried about ever getting tripped up. You know, I mean, tomorrow morning I'll be just to have always been, have everything that I've always had, and my life will go on just like it's always going on. I'll tell you, be careful. Your life could change that quickly. That quickly. And yet we go on in our pride and our strife, our delight in iniquity. And David said, I'm not going to draw attention to that. I'm not going to broadcast that. It's not like I'm going to cover it. No, he acknowledged it. Not like he was going to hide it or act like it never happened. See, that's not the point. It's just that I'm not going to broadcast it. But I am going to point out what he did do that I want you all to remember that was good, that you can appreciate. He honored Saul who dishonored him. I read with interest at a young man from Ghana. He wrote an article recently about his dad who deserted him and his mom before he was born. After he was born, a few months Later, his mother tracked him down and found him in a village and begged him to come back to her and to their little boy, and he refused. So this guy grew up, abandoned by his dad, introduced to Jesus Christ, changed by the gospel of grace, serving God with his life, doing what is right and honorable, and he wrote these words, Dishonorable fathers need honorable sons. Bad fathers need good sons. And good sons honor their bad fathers. He tells a story about being abandoned. And he said that God commanded me to honor my absentee father. So since there's maybe a small chance that he's still alive, since maybe he'll Google my name and read these words for the first time, I'll attempt to speak to my father. My father, if you're reading this, I want you to know I'm grateful for you. I really am. You are my father and I am your son. Without you, there is no me. Without your life, mine wouldn't exist. So I am truly grateful for you. And he goes on in the article to tell his dad how he could know Christ as Savior as well. And he concludes by saying, So whoever you are and whoever your father is, although it might be difficult no matter what your father has done or hasn't done, pray for them. Be gracious to them. Be kind to them. Be merciful with them. Be willing to forgive them. This Father's Day, honor your father even if he isn't honorable. Now that's a powerful truth there. See, many of us, we have our struggles and strife in life. 
Some of us are striving against things that we cannot change. Decisions others have made. There is a God in heaven who gives us grace to give that to him, to rise above that and go on and live fulfilled, blessed lives. Dads, you still have children in the home. Granddads, you still have young grandchildren that you can influence. You have choices to make, but the choices you make will impact their lives for good or for bad. You can't just be thinking about yourself in this moment. You have to think about others and the impact of your choices upon their lives. And if you as a son or daughter, has a dad who is trying to do what is right, encourage him. Pray for him. Hold his hands up as Aaron and Hur did. Moses' hands. Stand with him. Pray for him. Be grateful for him. Don't resent him. Don't resist him. Uh, work with him if he's trying to work with you. Have a heart to be grateful for what God has put in your life. That very one. Who is your dad? I think as I read these passages this week and how God just kind of put this together in my heart and I thought about that. You know, Father's Day we get challenged to dads do this and that and there's certain things we should be doing right. But we need to stop and realize what a glory and a crown that we are to our children and our grandchildren the way they look to us and the impact we have the impact our choices have, our decisions in their lives. There should be a loyalty and a faithfulness there, a fidelity, a confidence, a truthful trustworthiness in our relationships. We should be careful not to leave God out of our own lives, of our own relationships, of our homes. And if you have been impacted by someone who did, you're still not limited by that. And the way you rise above that is not by thinking, oh, if I could just get even with them. Oh, if they just knew. I mean, one, give that to God and say, Lord, you said this, honor thy father and thy mother. You didn't put any qualifier on it. You didn't even say, while you're growing up in their home. It's a lifelong command. There are certain things, obviously, in some we cannot commend, we cannot excuse. We're not trying in some way to cover or justify. That's not the point. But what good there is there? This person, <laughs> if he wasn't your father, there would be no you. There's something if we have to go all the way back at some point we can be grateful for. Isn't that right? That's the way you get victory and you're able to move forward and impact your children and grandchildren by honoring one who dishonored you. Isn't that amazing? I'm glad God's grace is sufficient no matter what we faced in life. And for you dads that are trying to do the right thing, I commend you, I honor you, I respect you. And I pray that your family will. 
I, fa- I pray that your family will see what they have. There's a lot of people. We're praying for things that we don't have. We have a lot of things that people are praying for. We need to learn to be grateful. Content with such things as you have. Looking around. I read this the other day about a man and his wife's relationship. He said, you know, we got to the point where there's so much strife and tension between us. It was always something. He said, and then I realized in my heart that I had chosen her to be my bride at a certain point, but then the time came where day by day I was choosing her less and less. I got to the point where I didn't want anything to do with her. I was tired of the strife, and he said, I had to ask God to help me to reverse that in my heart. I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what your challenge is, but I promise you, If you give in to the way of the world, the way of self, for the time it may seem to be the right choice. But in time, it will prove otherwise. May God help us to do what's right, to choose what's right every day, to choose our loved ones every day, to do what's right, to say, hey, what's God going to think about this? What does he say about it in his word? How is it going to impact and affect my loved ones? And then if you're in a situation where somebody's just coming after you and they love strife more than they love you, there's a God in heaven who will sustain you. But the pathway to that, you don't fight fire with fire. You overcome evil with what? Good. You overcome dishonor with what? Honor. David's mighty men... He talks about those who were honorable and those who were more honorable. There are degrees of honor. God help us to be more honorable in honoring him and each other. He does say this in 1 Samuel chapter 2, them that honor me, I will honor. See, Eli honored his sons above God. God help us not to do that to honor anyone or anything in place of him more than him. But if we'll honor the Lord, everything else will come out of that in our lives that is right and proper and peaceful and pleasing to the Lord. I want to be pleasing to the Lord, don't you? We're all going to meet him before very long, and we're going to give account. And may God help us. And wherever you're at today, Dad, I want to encourage you, do what's right. Fight the right battle, the good fight of faith. Fight it for the glory of God, for your wife, for your children, your grandchildren. I mean, great-grandchildren come, and you're thinking, what? Where did the time go? I'll tell you, we're all getting through this life quicker than we realize. Let's make the most of this time we have here and let's rise above the challenges of life by seeking peace, doing what is right, being faithful and loyal, and doing it in the fear of God. I've got to meet God with this. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. 
If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.